0: Hello, Andre here. Welcome to another episode of The Daily. It is a brand new episode for a brand new week. And wherever you're at right now, be it on your way to work or listening to this podcast while you're on your couch or even while you're on a run, I pray that you'll be blessed, that you will experience the peace of God wherever you're at. This sense of calm and stillness in your soul that isn't so defined by external circumstances but flows out of a place of abiding, this deep sense of knowing that we are so known and so loved by God and we rest and we have peace and we have stillness in our soul because we are held by a God who loves us. This morning I'll be reading to you from Psalm 86. Verse 15 to 16 says this in God's word. But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. O turn to me and have mercy on me. Give your strength to your servant. Now, David was quoting from Exodus 34 in that first line in verse 15 that God is compassionate and gracious. Now, in Exodus 33, we get, to eavesdrop on a conversation between Moses and God. And Moses is asking for God to go with the Israelites, the people of God, every step of the way. And at one point, Moses asked the Lord, God, now show me your glory. This audacious request, right? And in ancient Hebrew literature like Exodus, to speak of God's glory was to speak of his presence and beauty. So Moses was not just asking for uh, you know, a glory cloud or a pillar of fire or more signs and wonders. No, he was asking to see God for who he really is, to see God in person. For Moses, head knowledge wasn't enough. He wanted to experience God, to know God. Now God, in that exchange, graciously tells Moses that he can't see his face or he would surely die. However, we read further down in exchange of what God would do for Moses. He says, This I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord Yahweh, in your presence. Now, this is staggering, right? That God has a name. Especially so in a time like that where names were so much more than just someone, something you call a person, but names were synonymous with a person's character or destiny or nature. So when God describes himself with a name, he talks about what we call character. This is who I am, this is what I am like, this is what I stand for, this is who I am. In Exodus 34, we read of God describing... Himself describing his name, it says this, The Lord Yahweh came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord Yahweh, and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord Yahweh, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. Now, this is one of the watershed moments in the Bible when everything changes. It is one of the few places in the entire Bible where God describes Himself. When He essentially says this, you know, this is what I'm like, this is who I am. Think of this as God's self-disclosure statement, His press release to the world. For generations upon generations, people have had a warped or a misguided understanding or view of God. But here in this text, God himself dispels all false claims and beliefs and proclaims, this is who I am. This is what I am like. And the first attribute that God names is that he is a God who is compassionate and gracious. Compassionate and gracious. Now in the scriptures, order matters. And order is a clue as to what is most important. And the fact that compassionate and gracious is at the top of the list of character traits that God describes Himself to embody, that means that this trait is a dominant one. It is the most important thing there is to know about Him. Now, this phrase, compassionate and gracious, is in the Hebrew, Rahum we hanun. Rahum we hanun. Now, this is a word pairing in Hebrew, meaning not only do these two words, compassionate and gracious, Rahum, we Hanun, sound alike, but they are laid side by side to help explain each other. First off, Rahum, or compassionate, has this idea behind it as the feeling a mother would have toward her infant child. We read in the Bible of this story where two women came before King Solomon and they had this dispute about a child and who the child rightfully belonged to. Then King Solomon, we read in scripture, comes up with this ingenious plan. Cut the baby in half and give it to both mothers. This should flush out who the true parent is. And the scripture tells us that the true mother was deeply moved or Rahum, Out of her love for her son, it said to the king, please my lord, give her the living baby, don't kill him. And so Rahum has this kind of idea of a strong feeling. It's more of a feeling word, kind of how a parent feels about their children. That is what God means when he says he is compassionate. He feels strongly toward his children. Deep feelings of love, of protection, of well-being towards his children. Now, in contrast, that word gracious or hanun in Hebrew is an action word. It means to show grace or to show favor. It is something you do, and it has this kind of idea of helping, to help someone. To hanun somebody is to help them out in a time of need. And so to recap, compassionate is a kind of feeling word, God is like a father or even a mother and we are like his children. And gracious is an action word. It means like a parent, God who would come to the rescue when his kids, when his children need help. Now these two words link up and fuse together to show us what Yahweh our God is like. He is compassionate and gracious. He feels deeply and he is moved into action. Now, why is this important for us to know? It is because it affects, and it shapes, it forms the way we approach God. I found even in my own life, as I come before God for certain areas of need with my petitions and requests, I'll do so uh, with either feelings of entitlement or a victimized mentality. An entitlement may look like this, you know, it, it can sound like, God, I'm a good person, I go to church, I do all the right things, I tithe, I give money, so would you do this for me? And it has this idea of God's kingdom being kind of like a math formula, if I do this and this, then that should be the rightful outcome. And the implicit idea here is this, that God owes you, that you deserve more than what you have going on for you right now. But the truth of the matter is this, that all of us, because of our sin and our trespasses, we deserve death, we deserve far worse than what we are experiencing right now. And if we truly got what was coming to us because of our sin, we would be dead right now. But Jesus, through his atoning work on the cross, took on what he did not deserve, so that you and I could get what we don't deserve, life and life in all its fullness this is something that we don't deserve but god in his compassion in his kindness and mercy has given this to us and yet we often come to him in times of prayer with entitlement we deserve more we deserve better and this entitlement at times morph and manifests itself as a kind of victimized mentality right Maybe you're in a rough spot, life is not going well, and you need help and your prayer could sound like something like, God is so hard right now, I'm going through hell, how could you let this happen to me? It's not fair, so would you please do this or that? And we play the victim card at times, right? We try to show God how badly we need his mercy and we try to manipulate God to get what we want. Now don't get me wrong, there's a time and place to pray like this, to lament, to protest all that is going wrong with your life, but I believe there is a better way forward, a way that we can come before God, not based on what we have done, a kind of entitlement or what's been done to us, a victimized mentality, but based on who God is, based on his nature, that of compassion and grace, his mercy. And in a posture like that, our prayer should sound something like this. God, you are compassionate. You feel deeply for me. You care for me. You feel pain when I go through pain. You feel joy when I go through joy. You care about me. And God, you are gracious. You help. You want to be involved in my woe. You want to bring deliverance, help, healing, and provision all my lack God you don't owe me a thing and while there are a ton of people who have it way worse than I do and while there are a ton of people so in need of your mercy I know that your mercy has no ends it has no limit to it it is infinite and you oh God delight to extend to pour out your mercy on me now the most famous story jesus ever told and this is in my understanding the most preached about story in the bible is that of a father and his two sons one a wild brash party animal the other a kind of self-righteous snob and we commonly know this story as the story of the prodigal son we read of one son asking for his inheritance early which in a culture like that is the ultimate act of dishonor. He's essentially asking for his dad to hurry up and die. And in a shocking twist, the dad says yes, and this narcissistic son, this prodigal son, sets off for a distant country and there squanders his wealth in wild living. Meanwhile, the other son, the older brother, stays at home, he's a good boy, he works the field, he serves his father. And naturally, this... Uh, wayward son, runs out of money, his life goes belly up, he is subject to poverty, and then he finally comes to his senses and decides to go back home and begs his dad for mercy. Now we read in scripture that when he got close to home, his father saw him in the distance and was filled with compassion, rahum for him, and he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Now usually we read this story and read it as if it's about the two sons. And rightly so, I think there's, many, there's much to learn about the two sons. But what if the point of the story is actually the father? It's for us to have a kind of understanding of how of heavenly father views us, who he is like, how he would respond to us even in our failings. Now, this story is commonly referred to as the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son. The word prodigal meaning extravagant, recklessly wasteful. But I would choose to dare say that the true prodigal in the story is the father. What eclipses that son's extravagance and recklessness is the extravagance and recklessness and wastefulness of the father's love. That father loved, extended compassion and mercy and grace, even whilst that son was stuck in his filth. And a question I would like to leave with you this morning, even as we close off this time, is what is your view of the father when you come to him in prayer? As you consider who God is, as you think about God in times of prayer, as you consider how you might approach him with your petitions and requests, do you think of God as an angry God who looks upon you, who thinks of you as a kind of frustration, a disappointment or a screw up that you in many ways need to earn his love? Or do you come to him with a kind of victimized mentality, thinking that you need to uh, play up your sufferings in order to trigger sympathy from God to have him feel sorry for you? Or do we believe that our God is a compassionate and gracious God, a loving father who feels deeply for his children and is moved to action? What would our prayer lives look like if we truly believe that God is compassionate and gracious? How different would our prayer lives look like if we truly believed that? To close off, let me read to you a passage of scripture from Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. It says this: "Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy" and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now this is a claim about how we ought to approach God. And I love the writer's choice of words. With confidence. We are to approach the God who spoke the world into existence. The God who holds the world in his hands. The God who is above all other beings with confidence. Why? Because he is our father. He is our dad. And we come to his throne of grace, not as beggars of the street, but as his sons and daughters, royal heirs to his kingdom. For those of you who are parents, your kids, you know, when you get back home from work, they don't bow down and crawl up to you and kiss your feet. No, they run to you when they see you and they jump into your arms and yell mommy or daddy. That is the kind of confidence that we are to embrace and embody as we approach God. Where do you need mercy in your life? Where do you need grace to help you in a time of need? Go to the Father, not as one who is entitled, not as one who has to play up his or her suffering to appeal to God's sympathy. No, we go to Him as our Father, believing that He is compassionate. He feels for us and then asking for His grace. No matter where you've been or what you've done recently, even with the stink of sin on your life, the Father is already running toward you, arms wide open with a smile, wanting to hold and embrace you and extend His mercy, His grace, His love onto you. And it's with that image of the Father in our minds that we enter into a time of prayer together. And so in this moment, I invite you to get comfortable, to posture your heart, your mind, your body into a time of stillness and quiet. In this moment, I want you to the best of your ability to try and picture God. With all that you have heard in the last 10 minutes, He is a God who is compassionate and gracious He does not view you as a kind of frustration or disappointment. He feels strongly and deeply for you. You are his son and daughter. You are so loved by him, even in this moment. And so with whatever you may have as a weight on your life, even this time, be it a, a need that you need filled in your life, be it a kind of struggle you are battling with trying your best to overcome, Take these things, this weight, these burdens on your life and approach His throne of grace with confidence that you are a son and a daughter, that you can come to Him just as you are. And our compassionate and gracious God will extend to you His mercy. And so let's take a moment this morning to experience the Father And the image I would like for you to try your best to imagine in this moment is for you to bring your weight, your burdens, your baggage to God to walk towards his throne with confidence and to imagine the father seeing you off from the distance just like in the story of the prodigal son and him running toward you, embracing you, holding you, loving on you. Let's spend a few moments this morning experiencing the love and embrace of our Father. amen. let me pray for you this morning. Father we thank you. you are a compassionate and gracious God. You are slow to anger, you are abounding in love. God we thank you that you feel deeply for us, that your thoughts toward us are good, are of well-being. And God we pray this morning even as we live through the day, even as we come to you at various points through the week with our petitions and requests, that we won't do so out of a place of entitlement, we won't do so out of a victimized mentality, but we'll come to you as your sons and daughters, confident in our Father's love for us. And God, we know that as we do so, you will extend your mercy toward us. God, we thank you for your great love. Help us to know this love in a deep, personal way, Help us to experience your love all through our day. We thank you for this great grace. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in to yet another episode of the Daily. I pray that you have a blessed day ahead. I'll see you in the next episode. Grace and peace. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Daily podcast. We'll have fresh new episodes out for you every weekday. If you like what you're hearing and want to check us out, uh, you can look us up on our website www.thecity.sg or check us out on our various social media platforms. We'll see you at the next episode. Peace.